Welcome back to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Johnson. Only four in 10 employees use all of their paid time off each year, leaving over 750 million days unused annually in the United States alone. Unused PTO either sits on the balance sheet of companies as a liability or is forfeited by employees, representing a staggering $65 billion in effective lost compensation each year. PTO Exchange is out to fix this problem. Through their platform, organizations are able to offer employees easy ways to convert unused PTO into retirement plans, charitable contributions, wellness programs, and more. In this conversation, we chat with the founder of PTO Exchange, Rob Whalen. We discuss the massive impact that this problem has on employees and companies, how the landscape has shifted as a result of COVID, what the future of employee benefits looks like, and much more. Full disclosure, Manifold was fortunate to invest in PTO Exchange's most recent round earlier this year, but I think you'll quickly discover why. It's a fascinating conversation. I think you'll get a lot out of it. And with that, let's go to Rob. All right, Rob, thank you so much for being here. Really excited to dig into this with you. For folks maybe that aren't familiar, what is PTO Exchange? Yeah, PTO Exchange is a company that allow employees to use their accrued, called paid time off or vacation, and we're allowing them to self-direct that for what we call goods, services, or experiences. And what it does is it allows employers the ability to build flexibility within an already budgeted benefit that they have on the books and that employees are already accruing. And that, that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. How, what, what was the genesis of this? Like, where did, where did you first come up with this idea? The genesis happened at my dinner table with a bunch of other entrepreneurs and it came from a couple of us, two of us to be exact, leaving Cisco systems where we had worked And they paid us out a large sum of money. And we just thought, wow, what if we could have used those dollars, that benefit, while we were working for the company, enhancing both our 401k or having a different experience. And the idea, the genesis was, I would have loved to gone on a better vacation (laughs) using some of that money. So instead of taking those two weeks and using some of that to offset the cost and or to have a better experience. And that was the genesis. That was the light bulb moment. It's, it's, I think it's sometimes, it was surprising to me when we first learned about you all, but and I think it's, it's probably surprising maybe for a lot of, especially owners, to find out how big of a percentage of PTO gets completely unused. Can you speak that a little bit about like what do the stats tell you and maybe what are some of the reasons why, that, why that's the case? Yeah, yeah. So PTO, just so you know, in the private sector, there's roughly about $365 billion that gets accrued every year. Roughly about 155 billion of that goes unused and 65 billion gets forfeited. And what really is happening if you dissect it down, on average, everyone gets three weeks of paid time off or vacation. And roughly they leave about a week on the books. And that, That can happen for a number of reasons. Usually there's this, well, I should say there's really three kind of reasons why people don't use it. One is emotional. The other is financial. And then the third is really workload. Okay. And the first one, it's the emotional. So why aren't I using that, that week of PTO? that emotional that you feel like if you leave work or you feel like 
I can't afford to leave work because I need the money and I don't want to look like I'm, I'm a slacker. Okay. And the other one is just financial. Financial is 40% of America doesn't have $400 in their savings account, yet they have $900 that they're leaving on the books at PTO, which is really interesting. And so they feel like if they take a vacation, Sean, that they're just going to be going home and they're going to be thinking about work and they don't want to lose their job because if they lose their job, they're in such a cash flow. And then the other one, I, I call it, it's really the workload. And I, I look at this as workload loyalty. And it's those people that feel like they can't leave work because it won't get done and or the job can't get done without them. And those are really those driving factors on why people leave that one week of PTO off the books or they don't use it or they accrue up to the amount and they stop accruing. But it's a lot of money. I mean, if you think about you get, let's just say you get four weeks a year of paid time off. Okay. That's 7% of your total compensation on time. People don't, people don't equate PTO to compensation and they really need to. Yeah. 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 And, and interesting too. I mean, I think from the employer standpoint as well, you mentioned you and your, your, your colleague leaving and, and that getting paid out. I, it, it seems to me like that's a very common misunderstanding, I guess, on the part of the employer as well, or on the business owner about the fact that this actually sits on their balance sheet, I guess, highlight like the magnitude of that problem for the business <laughs> owner. Yeah. For, first of all, let's just, let's just, most people don't like accounting. That's my, I was, I was educated in most people don't like it. Yeah. And so they don't quite put the two PTO and accounting and finance and all these things together. But for the CFO, they certainly understand accounting and what's going on. And I'll just walk you through. So you, you accrue three hours of paid time off. What happens is that quarter or that month, they expense it through their net income statement or P and L and that, 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 that expense gets accrued and then it gets moved over to the balance sheet as a liability offset by cash. So now you have a liability sitting on the balance sheet and it's growing throughout the year because your accrual grows throughout the year. And what, what happens is that you then start having a large accrual or liability that's associated with this paid time off or vacation. Now, if it's a use it or lose it at the end of the year and you lose it, the CFO will just take that money and put it back into the coffers of the company. But if you have a PTO policy that allows you to carry over from year to year, which 81% of companies do, you will see that that week or those three weeks accrued, let's say your wage goes up by 3%. Well, now that liability just went up 3%. And we worked with a very large airplane manufacturer and did some analysis work. And it's an enormous amount of money that just the compounding of growth of liability that's not associated to productivity. And so CFO wants to get that off their books within the year that they've accrued it and or expensed it so that it doesn't grow or compound 
with the time value of money. And just to give people, I guess, a, a, a better understanding who maybe who aren't, aren't as familiar to your point, <clears throat> aren't as familiar with accounting or what, I guess, the, the, the problems that, that something like that can present for a business, what, is, what are the implications of having this large liability kind of accruing on the balance sheet in terms of either risk or in terms of their ability to plan more effectively? What, what are some of the downstream effects of that problem? Well, the down, the downstream effect is really, it's costing the business more money. Okay. With less productivity, that's really the baseline. And if you think of a business as you want to be profitable, there's only two things you look at the revenue and the expense. And this is part of the expense size. And if you can decrease your expense, you're going to increase your revenue. And, and so that is really the, the, the crux or the point of getting this liability off the books at the rate it was accrued or expensed. Okay. And, and so w- when we go into and talk to CFOs, we really talk about the baseline of time value of money and how it compounds within their organization with these salaries and or these with the, with cruel of the PTO. Now, now remember roughly 70% of all companies expense its salaries. So if you're looking at 7% of that and affecting 7% of your largest expense, even at a 1% level, that becomes very meaningful to the CFO from a profit margin standpoint. And as we all know, CFOs and CEOs are trying to increase their shareholder value. And the way they do that is by increasing more value to the shareholders. Yeah, makes sense. I'd love to learn. I just, I, I always love to dig into kind of the early days of the business. How did you go from idea around a table to what was your minimum viable product? What did you show people? Like, what were some of the, because it seems like there's some moving parts here, not just in terms of like breaking mental models for an employer, but even in terms of like <laughs> the actual conversion of this PTO into a new thing. Like, how did you go from an idea to an actual product that was in market? So we, we founded the company in 2013 and we launched really our, our product in like 2017. So that's a lot of time. That's four years. Now, in those four years, we actually... We worked on the company at nighttime. We worked for other companies. It was really kind of like a satellite gig. But we, so in 2013, maybe it was end of 2013, I emailed out to a couple CHROs and immediately I got replies to come in and talk to them. Todd and I, Todd and I went in and we started to talk to them. And then we got a very large cellular company here in the Northwest. They, they, we got under NDA with them and we started to talk and we we're like, holy cow, we don't even have a product. So Todd, Todd is hacking away at some vaporware just to show them something, <laughs> this concept. And we realized we were onto something right then and there. But we also realized that this company, they actually make money off the backs of their employees. Okay. So they, they don't pay out some of this PTO. And it was roughly about $18 million a year. And so that CFO is like, hey, I can't do this because everyone will use their PTO. And so then we really realized that we're onto something for the employees. How can we make it for the employer? And as we learned about pay time off, pay time off is a very unique thing. There's a lot of regulatory issues with it. And you have to, to make sure your, your customers are compliant, you have to do certain things. And we didn't know this in the early days. The first year we, we had, we thought, oh, just dollar for dollar, be able to do this, no problem. And we realized that there was a much 
there was more regulation around it than we had anticipated. So then we had to really sit down and talk to attorneys and really figure it out. And that's really what we've done. And then in 2017, we launched and started to grow the company. 2018, we raised our first $3 million and, and started to grow the business. But it's also a mindset changing. You were talking about this. Going from N plus one is different than going from zero to one because you're changing mindset. You're trying to create something. And so we've had to really educate people on this is part of your income. You should be able to do something different with it. And this is how you can do it. And then also educating the employer saying, you've already got this budgeted. Why don't you allow your employees and you can build flexibility around it and kind of timing wise, we, we knew that the wave was going to come in. We just didn't know when. And the pandemic really accelerated things for us, like a lot of businesses, accelerated things for us in the attention and the need for flexibility and, and flexible benefits. Yeah. I mean, so along those lines, what did COVID do for you all in terms of like, how, how did it change the perspective on the point of the, from the standpoint of the employees or from the employers in terms of how they think about their benefits? Like why, why was it such a catalyst for you guys? So it really was a catalyst on both sides. That's why it was a catalyst. It wasn't just a catalyst on one side. It was a catalyst on both sides. And I'll give you a couple examples, Sean. One of our customers came to us and initially they had people who were using their PTO because of COVID, right? They would get COVID, they used it all up and then a family member got COVID. And so to take care of their loved ones, they didn't have any more vacation or sick time or, and so they looked at it and said, Hey, can, because within our platform, we can do a medical leave sharing plan. And they came to us for that. And they said, Hey, we want to be able to allow employees to share their PTO with other employees that have this medical need or these family needs. And that was really initial driving factor for some of our customers to come on board. And that's really driven of someone needs more PTO and they don't have it. On the other end, we had another customer come to us and said, and it was a healthcare company and said, we have people that haven't been able to use their PTO. And we have, I mean, it was like $40 million over and above what they usually have on their books because nurses can't go away on PTO. Doctors can't go. These are real people that aren't able to leave their jobs to take vacation. And, and they had a, a limit, right? They, they actually changed their PTO policy for that year so that people didn't lose their PTO and get all angry with the, with the company. But we allowed them and their employees a way to utilize that PTO to receive some value in a way that met their needs, each of the employees' needs. Yeah, I have to think that probably for a lot of employers, I mean, that was one of the things that, that was really surprising to me even was that more, more people didn't, because there, there was an opportunity, it seemed like, to take advantage of kind of this new sort of reality and actually go somewhere and do, do some stuff. And, and yet most, most folks on our team didn't. And it was surprising because I was realized like, it's like, Oh, well, what am I going to go do? Like everything's closed or like we were really, so even in, even in very traditional kind of white collar types of roles, that probably was the case too. So it's interesting. 
It was. It, it it really was. It's like you couldn't go anywhere. I mean, you can't. You couldn't go. Hey, I want to go over to the UK or I want to go over to Europe and live over there and work. While this whole thing, it became very difficult to move around. Mobility became difficult. I'd be curious. You, you mentioned that this was an educational sale, and and that's one of the things that we talk about a lot is the difference between when you're competing in a known category versus you're trying to your potential customers. What were maybe some of the lessons you learned that? would be applicable to another type of business that's, that, that, that is trying to go from zero to one and is in a category where an educational sale is necessary in order to get some of those early logos. What have you learned there? What we learned straight up was that we had to be the experts in this space. So whatever category you're building, you have to become the expert because that's the education you're delivering. So when I talked about regulations, we went and found some of the, the best attorneys out there and we started to read on some of the writings that they did to understand. And there are actually our attorneys now at the company, but we had to be as knowledgeable as our attorneys. When we go into a customer, we're, we're a consultant. At the end of the day, we're consulting them on how to do this in a very legal and regulatory way so that they meet all the requirements. So first and foremost, if you're going to go from zero to one, you have to be the expert. Next, I think you have to create stories and stories that haven't even happened yet. Okay. Like those stories I just told you about customers, those are true stories. But we, we were thinking of our own stories personally and how this would affect the employer. And then we'd try and put ourselves in the employee shoes and we would build stories on what ifs. And so when we were in talking about our solution or our idea, we would talk about what if you could do this? It, it's not done today. How, what would that bring to your employees? How would that differentiate you as someone who's trying to attract and retain and keep employees? Would they look at you as a better employer? And what we found in, in creating those stories and kind of vapor stories, okay? <laughs> really, Sean, they're, they're just examples of how you feel your solution will affect your customers. And we found that that really helped us define the value of our product that we are trying to deliver to them. Th those are the things that I found. And then vaporware is vaporware, right? We, you have to come up with people like pictures. So we, in the early days, we came up with a product and it didn't work, but it was all visual. And we showed them how, how their employees would interact, how they would interact with it. And what we were really doing, Sean, is building our product with our customers. Yeah. That's what we were doing. Well, I mean, that's like, you can call it vaporware, but I mean, also customer customer development, I think is a more gener generous way. <laughs> but yeah, like 100%, stay close to the customer and try to figure out what they actually want versus building something and then launching it and finding out that, oh, we got it wrong, you know, makes a lot of sense. I would imagine in terms of your playbook, I mean, obviously your, your B2B kind of it sounds like more leaning more towards from an enterprise type of sale. So having a outbound sales effort was probably pretty important anyway. But I would also imagine, given that it is an educational sale, or at least it was an educational sale, a lot of the channels that a lot of startups tend to think about, like paid acquisition and pay-per-click marketing and things like that, are off the table because the people don't even know that they're looking for this. Is that fair? Yeah, that is. Yep. That, that's very fair. I mean, we, we're selling to the employer, but we, we do have to sell to the employee from an engagement standpoint. And in the early days, we're just selling to the employer to get employee, employee, 
employees on platform. And that's really, really the game is the new market. It's who's going to win is going to be employees on platform. And right now we have over 170,000 on platform. We roughly have, our customers have roughly $310 million sitting in their PTO bank. We have access or our employees that are on platform have access to over 120 million of that. Okay. If we were able to get them engaging and, but the reality is people are going to use PTO the way they always do anyways, this behavioral change. We're not trying to not get people to take their PTO. We are trying to get them to take, what we're trying to say is there's this value that's left. Let them do something for themselves with it. Yeah. In, in a B2B context, that's one of the things that comes up a lot is especially less so when you're kind of selling the dream, but more when it gets brass tacks, when you start dealing with pilots and things like that. And I know one of the areas where people tend to fall down is um, maybe they, they execute at a high level from a sales standpoint and getting the employer bought in. But then when it comes time to handle adoption with their actual employee base who aren't the people who bought the product, but need to use the product in order for it to justify continued investment, that's where they often fall down. What have you learned, I guess, in that process? Call it customer success or call it employee adoption or whatever it is. Any, any tactics or strategies that you have found to be particularly effective at maximizing the percentage of the employee base that actually adopts the tool? So we're just, so two things to that question. One is in the early days, we had a model of PEPM and transaction fee. Okay. Meaning that we would take a transaction fee. We realized it was too hard to sell the PEPM. Now investors want the PEPM, right? Investors want the PEPM because it's, it's easy. I can do the math on it. But the reality with our business was that it didn't really make sense because the reason being is that Sean may use all of his PTO up the same way he always does, but Jerry may use two weeks and then use a week on the exchange. I don't want to pay a PEPM for Sean every month where Sean's not getting any value. So we looked at our business as a value-based transaction. And now people are talking about it, but we were doing this three years ago when we changed things up. We said, we need to create value where the value is received. Meaning that if Sean comes in and finds value in, in using our system, that's where we charge. We don't charge if Sean doesn't find value in our system. That aligns us to build the best product, to get the best engagement, because we only get revenue when we actually get Sean to come in and engage with us. So that brings me to the second part of the question, which is we just really started launching more communication and more, what I wanna say is a, a two-way platform that lets Sean know of the value that's here for him to use and, and the things he can get value from it. Okay. Like, Hey, Sean, you're not going to hit your 401k limit this year. You're going to lose this week. Why don't you put this week into your 401k? And this would save you this much money, let alone you could get matching dollars for those. So that type of, communication in the platform is what we're just starting to build. Yeah, that's exciting. To where it's going to start educating along the way, letting you know you have this benefit and that this is the way you can use it. 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Along those same lines, I mean, integrating and, and onboarding a new client, I know you have the ability to do some single sign-on stuff. And so like, and then obviously just getting access to the employee's data, either inputting it manually or through some other type of system or whatever it is. Are there anything, anything that you've learned from a, I guess, again, a customer success standpoint to make that process as easy as possible? Because I know, and again, that's another thing, like we've done a lot of stuff like in healthcare, for example, and like just that it's a nightmare, like getting, getting all of the pieces hooked up where they can start getting value out of it is a big roadblock for people. Like what have you learned on that side of things? The more you do it, the, the better you get at it. That's for sure. Yeah. So we have a number of clients on Workday. The first Workday implementation, we learned a lot about Workday. The second one was easier. The third one was really straightforward. Okay. And we did integrations all the way into Workday itself, whereas we're an icon within Workday where it's single sign-on. So you, you access it through the, through Workday. And that is just, so what we're doing there is just an SFTP flat file, and it's a very large organization, and that's the way they wanted to do it, not an API. And so that, that's the way we approach Workday. We also have UKG and ADP and everyone else. And UKG, we just got done building APIs directly because we're part of their partner network now. We're going to do the same with ADP. Paylocity, we've we've had a partnership with. And it's not a direct partnership, but, you know, it's fairly straightforward for a customer that is a Paylocity customer to come to us and say, hey, I want to do this. We can get them up and running within about two to four weeks because on the Paylocity side, they have, this is how you do it on the Paylocity side, and this is how we do it, and we can set everything up. So we're not the system of record, we're the system of transaction, and we're the system of policy for PTO, so around that transaction. And, and, that's, and that's the difference. But the integration, again, the more you do them, the easier it gets, and the more you can advise your clients on how to do it. Do you feel like there's, there's like a broad recommendation for, again, for founders that are, especially in earlier stages, that need to, they need more logos. So they know that part of their playbook long-term needs to be more integrations, more seamless integrations, things like that. In an enterprise environment, I know you deal with a lot of nuances, like with it, I don't know to what degree, how customized like a workday can be, but I know like an SAP, like every instance is like a snowflake and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, how do you advise companies to think about that in the early stages of like, should I be super hands-on and just like whatever it takes to get the, like you mentioned, like some people want an API, some people want a flat file. And like, I'm just going to, I'm going to be customer obsessed and do whatever they need me to do or in the early days to get the account. Or do, do you run into issues around like technical debt long-term with that kind of stuff? Like, how do you think about the relationship between those things early, in, in the early days, especially? So in the early days, it's always a, it's a ground war and you do everything and anything for that logo. And, and you learn a lot from having that logo. You learn a lot from having four logos, six logos, seven logos. And you do that technical debt comment. You do create technical debt along the way, but you have to think in a more flexible format. So when we built our, our product and there's, there is a lot of policies. Everyone has different PTO policy. And we learned this early on. So we realized in order to deliver this in a broad sense, we had to build an incredible, flexible, kind of customizable back end so that people could set their own policies. 
I think you need to do the same thing in the core of your product anyways in today's world where you're building integrations. You need to start being able to do not just APIs. You need to be able to do flat files if that's necessary. And so you need a system that's very flexible when you're thinking you're going to integrate with different systems because a company, and we've seen this, a company can have one new system like Paylocity and they, then they can have an older timekeeping system. And so you have to be able to integrate to both and they are different. So you could be doing an API through Paylocity and a flat file into like a Kronos timekeeping system. And so when you think of your platform, you need to think of it in a flexible way because every customer is going to be different. When I say that, I know that's the, the statement of saying you're going to be building technical debt, but that is a lot of what companies in the software world do. There is some technical debt in almost any software platform today. It's a matter of cleaning, updating your code, all these things that we do on a very regular basis around here. Todd, my partner is, he's, I'm not a coder. He's incredible, but it is something that because I come from technology, I know these things need to be addressed and we need to put them at the forefront and, and kind of part of our company culture to understand what debt you have and understand it's time to do some cleaning. We're not going to be building a new feature because we got to go back and do some cleaning to, to get to get the platform up to date. Yeah, I talk a lot in my in my class at Kellogg around there's a there's a really good book that's pretty old called The Discipline of Market Leaders. And it basically talks about there's three ways to win. One is you have the best product, which for a startup can be hard to do, but if you focus, best bet. One is like be the most operationally efficient, which is almost impossible to do as a startup. But the third is customer intimacy. And the idea that I try to hammer onto those to my students is like every company can compete on customer intimacy. It just requires kind of a, a mindset and, and like you said, a culture of prioritization. It seems like this is one more manifestation of that that I haven't really thought of in the past where it's important to talk to your product team, your engineering team about, hey, a value of ours is we want to provide the best level of customer service that we can because that's how we're going to win these early logos. And so, yes, I know that we're racking up some technical debt. We're doing it on purpose though. And I want you to understand like it's in service of a larger goal. I would imagine a lot of organizations would benefit by being able to communicate that coherently to their team in the early days. Because otherwise they're like, they just think that the founders don't know what they're doing. Like <laughs> all that kind of thing. Right. No, I think that from my other entrepreneurial, when I went to a few other companies, let me just give you an example. We just hired a new engineer. This engineer came from the test space. Okay. So he's really knowledgeable but really wants tests going on all the time. We do tests, but our focus is onboarding customers right now. If there's a, I mean, that's the focus of engineering is onboarding customers. And I think that there is some learning that, because he didn't come from a startup, learning going, well, what about the test? Well, it's like, if we code in this format, and this is one of the things that Todd has done, if we all code in this, in this particular format that I have, then... Then, then we'll all be able to read each other's code very clearly and document it very clearly. So he's more of let's do it right up front. And yes, we have to do tests, but we have to move quickly to onboard customers. And so are we throwing tests out? Not, not all together, but we're probably not as test driven as we should be. And we're doing it because we need to get customers up on board because we need to generate revenue. 
because that is a key to raising capital and, and moving the business forward. So you do have to make these trade-offs like you're saying, Sean, and say, well, we're going to create technical debt because the intimacy of the customer, it's all about the customer. And, but you have to create kind of the standard of moving at a rate in a form formation together. If you have a bunch of coders that are just hacking away and they're not coding together in, in the same format, you are going to run into trouble. You are going, you're going to create the technical debt, but you're going to create even worse things. When your system has a problem, someone else not, is not going to be able to go in and read your code. They're going to have to figure it out. Whereas if you're all coding in the same manner, Todd can go in and, 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 and see Gordon's code and so on. And it's in the same format. So they, so they both understand each other. And I think that's one of the things I learned in my last endeavors that as you create the early days, you need to be able to set these kind of standards within your organization. So as not to trip up downstream and the trip up is usually your customer, right? The site goes down, there's an issue, there's a hack. And then security, being that we're a B2B in an enterprise, starting with security first. Honestly, starting with security first. We've had our SOC 2 for almost six years. And, and we've, we've been always going after our SOC 2 and, and making sure that we're in line with, with all of that uh, in our processes. Yeah, that's an interesting um, point. And we hired a guy early on to do that for us. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like the kind of thing that a lot of, especially like first-time entrepreneurs, if they're trying to go enterprise, maybe don't give enough credence to. Is there anything else you've Because a lot of the playbooks that you'll read, lean startup-y stuff, things like that, like super fast cycle times, continuous deployment, like using data, like making data-driven decisions around growth and things like that. Seems like some of those rules are different when you're doing an enterprise type of play where you have long sales cycles, smaller smaller use like you don't you don't have like millions of active users where you can test the blue button shade right and like see if you're see if you're getting directional data or whatever what else have you learned along those lines around like a playbook for building kind of an enterprise organization that maybe violates some of the mental models that people think of when they think of traditional like lean startup types of approaches the enterprise is just a long sale so first of all you're in a long sale and so you have to think of every aspect of your business just a little bit differently. It's, it's not like building a product and, or an app and then sending it out for a lot of users to, to bang on. This is, you're entering into an organization's ecosystem. How do you operate within that ecosystem? And making sure that you don't mess up their current ecosystem is like that. Because once you do that, you're out. And so, my advice is if, if you're if you're an entrepreneur going after the enterprise and you've never sold to the enterprise or you've never been an engineer in the enterprise, I think that you need to surround yourself with people that have number one. I think you need to really block diagram both your product and your entry point into that enterprise because those block diagrams are going to know where you're going to be affecting it or what you're touching. Okay. In the early days, and it's still, it's still the early days around here, but we don't want a lot of PII information. We don't hold social security numbers. We've reduced it. And again, thinking of that sock piece, right? Because 
someone hacks us, we don't want to be responsible to the, the back end. Okay. And so we don't have a lot of personal data in the system. You just need to think through these, these things as you, as you go. The other thing is capital. You're going to need more capital than you think. And that, and I know that everyone says that, but you're also going to need to use that more efficiently. Okay. Sorry about this. And so making sure that you're, you're using your capital efficiently is very important. And the founding team around here usually makes the least. And that's just the way it is. We pay ourselves very frugally around here. And that's kind of how we've been able to last longer than anyone else. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's startup world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Changing gears just a little bit. I'd love to learn. I'd love to learn how you you play in a space that that is undergoing kind of a lot of change. I guess more broadly, culturally, and what we think a company even is, and all that kind of stuff. I'd love to kind of hear what you've learned about some of that stuff. So, like, we've obviously a lot of chatter right now around the hybrid work environment, remote first work environment, whether that's going to stick and be permanent or whether it's not. As it relates to benefits, I guess, specifically, what have you maybe seen in the sales window or what have you seen with your customers in terms of how they're, they're thinking about benefits differently than they did before? And maybe how is that, how's that informing your roadmap? I know you layer on different ways to utilize PTO over the years. What have you seen there in terms of how either organizations are thinking about benefits or how employees in this new environment are thinking about benefits? So when we, probably in 2017, when we launched, we started to look at both the, what was going on in the workforce, right? The transfer to the gig economy, the gig economy growing. And we realized, boy, benefits don't really meet both sides of the spectrum there. And so we started looking at both sides of the spectrum, not just the employee, right? So we, we, we are looking out to both the employees as well as the gig. Pandemic really changed things for the employer, the W-2 worker in this whole flexibility, this not just work, but just how they work. Okay. And we knew that benefits were never going to be a one size fits all because of there was five generations in the workforce. There's just the cultural diversity that that's, that's imploding onto the workforce. And so you have all these things coming together. Things had to change. And they are changing. They're, they are going to change very rapidly. But we felt like flexibility had to be the baseline of everything we do, meaning that the life cycle of an employee. So let's just say you come out of college and you start your first job, just like my daughter did today. Maybe the first thing you want to do is pay down your student loan because that's the stress you're under. So to you or to my daughter, paying down her student loan is important. And that reduces stress for her because that helps her think I can get this paid off sooner. I can now start saving from a 401k. You think about it, 25 or 22 in the workforce, 25, 26, 27, you're getting married. You know, th think about your life. 30, you want to buy a house. But before 40, you want your children. Before 50, they're going to be off in college or whatever. Those transitions of life in the, in the employee base, we need a platform or a benefits platform that delivers 
to each one of those during those needs. And that's really what we're looking at. And so PTO change does that today in a way, but I think it's not just PTO. I think it's going to be a lot of different benefits are going to have to become a little bit more flexible in their nature. And the dollar that a company is spending on an employee is going to have to have more flexibility in how it's utilized. And it could be that I pay health insurance for you and your family, but I'm on my wife's health insurance. So I don't, so I should get those dollars, same dollars, but I can use them in a different way. And that's, that's really what we're, what we're looking at. And we're building products and we do have a big vision building products to address that underlying flexibility and where the benefit of the world is going. Yeah. Do you have a, a, a framework that you use when you're trying to think about which things to layer in when? I know like you, you, you mentioned the leaf sharing that you've implemented, the LPA kind of yep. concept for around like spending on wellness, uh, which obviously is a hot topic right now. Like what, how do you make those kinds of decisions or how do you kind of see what's coming down the pipe and what, what you need to kind of layer into the product over time? Well, it kind of goes back to that flexibility that I talked about earlier and building a platform that is incredibly flexible. We had this incredible exchange going on with PTO, moving this deferred comp through an exchange to your paycheck. And then we had a customer come to us and say, hey, we're looking to do this. And we knew about LPAs because we had been talking about them and looking at them. But they came to us and said, we'd like you to do this. And so we looked at our platform and it was so flexible. We said, hell, we can do this. This is just another little plan, another plan to the product. And that's what we built. And this was a large consulting firm. And they were giving $700 to their employees to be for social well-being, mental well-being, physical well-being. And we managed that for them. So last year alone, I think we moved $5.5 million, $6 million through the platform for those benefits for them. And it's been a huge success. And now they're coming to us with another solution really around wellness and travel wellness that's going on in the marketplace. And we're, we're doing that for them too. But we looked at the platform and said, could we do this very easily without upsetting anything? And because we built that flexible platform, we were able to put that on top of. Now, are we looking at other things like that? You bet we are. We're looking at other things like that. And we're talking to customers about those flexible solutions that they're looking for and how do you deliver them to your employees, okay? As well as how do you get your PTO the next day um, instead of waiting two weeks for your payroll to run? So if you wanted to cash out in case of an emergency, we're gonna allow that to happen here in the very near future, very near future within the platform, meaning how you, how daily pay, you can access your earned wages, we're going to be doing something similar, but just with paid time off, you're going to be able to access a portion of your time. Uh, let's say it's two days in order to maybe bridge yourself through an emergency. And then I, I, w I will say that we're also playing in the, we're going to start playing in the web three space. <laughs> when you're talking about like micro payments, all that it makes a ton of sense. I get that. In terms of one of the things we talk about a lot in terms of kind of layering on additional data or additional use cases or additional value, or at least at a minimum, kind of using it to inform decision-making is like data exhaust. And I would imagine that at this point, you have aggregate data 
that gives you a point of view on how employees are actually choosing to convert their PTO. So like of these dozen or so things on the exchange, like what they're actually using and what they're not using. Is there anything, I guess, A, is there anything interesting that you've learned there about employee behavior sort of generally? And then secondly, anything that you've learned about being able to use some of the data exhaust that you get by having a platform like this to either make the product better or to improve the way in which you sell, to get additional clients, things like that? Yes, all of the above, by the way, Sean. Every Monday, except for this Monday, because we have a big company thing going on this week, but every Monday, we review the data. And so we, every week, we, and, and a lot of the people in the company go, God, this, we're doing this again. But we do it, we do it over and over and over because repetition helps us look at if there's something that changes. Okay. And we look at how many transactions, who transacted, how much money, how many hours did they do? How much value was that? Where did they put it? Uh, all these things. And it does get a little bit like again, but we, we get a lot out of it because we start thinking, what if we could layer another plan on here? Would that have an uptick for us? Okay. We've learned that there is me plans and there's we plans. And the we plans are the leave sharing and the nonprofit and some of the communal type of plans that companies put into place to build community. Okay. Where I'm going to give my, an hour of my time to a nonprofit or put it into the leave sharing pool and so on. The me plans are the 401k, the HSA, the cash out, the emergency cash out the student loan, the tuition, those are for me. And those have a, if if our employer has those turned on, their engagement goes way up. And because our platform is flexible, they don't have to have them on all year round. We have customers that say, we're going to allow a cash out every quarter for a week. And we see the uptick go during that week because of that engagement. It also helps build awareness that, they have this benefit. And, and so we've seen different things like that, but really it's the me plan and the we plan. Me plans get used and it gets an uptick if you have those turned on. And, and then when we talk about customer success, some of that communication that we're starting to build in into the system to let people know that they have this value and it, and if they aren't going to take time off, which they should, then they will, they could use it other ways. And by the way, Sean, to that point, we even built in a policy in our engine that says, Sean can't use PTO exchange until he takes a week of time off. Okay. Or two weeks off. So we, we had this capability and this intelligence that says we want people to take time off. So go take it first and then you can come back and leverage the value that you didn't use. That's really cool. You mentioned, I want to be respectful of your time, but you mentioned that you have a broader vision kind of long-term. Is there anything that you can, I guess, share about that at a high level that doesn't kind of betray your, your master plan, but that, that the future of PTO exchange might look like? I can just say we're starting to play in the Web3 space. That's, a, that's all I'm really going to say at this point in time. We'll, if, if we're going to move this direction that I'm thinking that I want to go down, you'll hear about it in the next eight weeks and I'll be able to talk about it then. But until, until we unglove ourselves, we're just looking at Web3 as a new technology stack. And because that's 
I don't look at it as crypto. I look at it as a technology stack. And I look at it as the most exciting technology stack that has ever come out because of the ownership capabilities of it and how you can start delivering things to an individual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did an episode, I don't know, six months ago about decentralized autonomous organizations and that's lingering in the back of my mind as I'm thinking about some of this stuff. And depending on who you ask, they're the future of employment or yet another bright, shiny object. But to the degree that there's even a chance that it's the latter, it seems like being able to play a role in that would be would be pretty strategically important. So super, super cool. Yeah, I just look at the technology as, as a really neat technology that you can do a lot of things with if it's delivered appropriately. Well, I'm excited to learn more about that. I want to be respectful of your time. This has been really interesting. For folks that want to learn more, where should I send them? Yeah, they can go to PTO Exchange and just go info at PTO Exchange and that'll come to me. They can hit me up on LinkedIn if they want to chat through there. And yeah, just reach out to me if you have any questions or want to learn more. Good stuff. All right, Rob, well, I really appreciate you doing this. It's been fun to watch the journey so far. Excited to see where you all head and, and looking forward to hearing some of the thoughts around the Web3 stuff in the coming months. So congrats on everything so far and look forward to seeing what's next. Yeah, Sean. Hey, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. My guest today was Rob Whalen. For more ideas on how to disrupt your own organization and to learn more about how Manifold Advisory can help, visit us at manifold.group advisory. And if you're looking for a truly value-added investment partner, and visit us at manifold.group ventures. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you appreciated this, we'd love a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. We'll see you next time.